UNESCO Green Citizens, Citizens in Action for the Planet. A podcast by Aurélie Luneau, directed by Thomas Duterte. Coral Vita, World Reef Restoration Farm. With our green citizen, Sam Teicher, and expert Fanny Duvert. Today is Friday, July 28th. It's 3 p.m. here in Freeport, Grand Bahama at the Coral Vita Coral Farm, and it is a hot, humid day. The team has been working really hard all around the farm, cleaning corals, as well as preparing some of our tanks underneath the white and blue skies of the Bahamas. Unfortunately, there's a heat wave not only hitting all across the world, um, but also underwater here around us in the Bahamas and, and the Caribbean and, and other places. And it's already causing corals uh, around the region to start bleaching and dying. And so we're fortunate here to be a little bit further north and in slightly cooler waters, but in anticipating of bleaching to come, we're starting to empty out some of our tanks of the fragmented corals we're growing so that we can actually rescue some corals uh, from the reef and some of our underwater nurseries to try and protect them against uh, potential mortality. So it's a little bit of a bittersweet exercise, but also one that gives us a lot of uh, motivation to keep working hard to protect these ecosystems that take care of all of us. So next week we'll be getting in the water, uh, actually diving on the reefs and checking to see how they're doing as the temperatures warm and starting to collect them uh, to bring back to the farm and, and keep them safe until later in the fall when the temperatures start cooling down again. 34 miles long and 17 miles wide, Grand Bahama is the fourth largest island in the Bahamas, located 55 miles off the coast of Florida. Sam Taisha is our green citizen. He and his college buddy Gator Halpin got together to form Coral Vita the world's very first land-based coral farm, inventing by the same token, a revolutionary concept to save the world's coral reefs. I got to see a coral reef for the first time when I was six years old. I can still see it incredibly vividly and it was an amazing experience. Oh, a huge debt of gratitude to my parents, not only for providing this love of nature and the ocean for me, but also raising me to believe I could try and protect it and try and make things better in the world. Coral are actually animals that have plants living inside of them that make rock for their skeleton. It's a pretty incredible three for one. So you have this animal that's an ancient, distant cousin of a jellyfish that basically helps build these almost underwater cities. They provide the home and the habitat for so much incredible marine life and also support nurseries. They're all the way up the food chain. There's sea life all the way out in the middle of the ocean that have some connection to coral reefs, which is why if you think about this one ecosystem, that takes up less than 1% of the sea floor. It actually sustains 25% of marine life all around the ocean. So 
So I mentioned before that corals are animals that have plants that live inside of them. These plants are a symbiotic algae, zooxanthellae. And the corals and the algae have a little deal. The algae uh, receive protection by getting to live inside of basically the, the tissue layer of the coral. And in turn, through photosynthesis, the algae give the extra sugar they create the, as food to the coral so the coral can be healthy and can grow. And it's the algae that provide the vibrant, beautiful colors uh, within the corals that we, we see uh, in the ocean. Was that they also make rock for their skeleton. And the rock is limestone, which in many cases can be white. When the water temperatures get too hot, too cold, more and more because of the way the oceans are warming too hot, uh, we can have something called coral bleaching. And so just like when our own bodies, the white blood cells, you know, we attack our own uh, selves if we're feeling sick, if the temperatures get too hot, the corals might think that the algae is causing them to feel bad and they'll expel the algae from into the ocean. And when that happens, it ex the color is removed and it exposes this pure white skeleton. Hence why we call it coral bleaching. And if the temperatures don't drop back quickly enough and the algae stays outside of the coral, the coral can starve to death and die. And a coral mass bleaching event is in a, something that should happen only, only every 100 years. It's equivalent to a 100-year flood when conditions are normal. Uh, and since the late 90s, we've had five, six, seven of these mass bleaching events that are killing huge amounts of corals around the world. And at the current rates of warming oceans and climate change, it's expected that we'll have a coral bleaching event every other year by 2050. What gives the coral its color? It's a weird, wild process. Corals are incredible creatures. If you look at one piece of coral, it's a single organism composed of hundreds, if not thousands, or tens of thousands of clones. So they're these tiny little uh, things called polyps. And one, a coral starts off with one coral polyp that will then sort of asexually grow uh, and make a copy of itself, a copy of itself and sort of until it grows into a huge piece of coral like the ones you sort of can envision or, or see out in the ocean. And so what was discovered was that if you take one piece of coral from the same colony and you cut it up into these tiny little pieces, these micro fragments, and you put those pieces near each other, it triggers a natural healing process, almost like scar tissue. And so the corals will start fusing back into themselves. So you cut them up, they fuse back together. You cut them up, they fuse back together. So this lets us do much more holistic and incredible and important ecosystem restoration. Again, utilizing a natural healing process from within the corals themselves. So how can we perform microfragmentation on coral, given that it's an animal, isn't it? 
Sure, so it's uh, it's not the normal farm you might think of when you picture one in your head. Uh, but if you if someone has seen a, a fish farm on land, it's it's not too dissimilar from that. So we have tanks that we grow the corals in. They are about uh, one and a half meter by three meters. Uh, these sort of light blue tanks that we're pumping seawater through. Uh, we have a whole pump house that's cleaning the water, filtering it, regulating the temperatures. And the water flows through the tanks uh, and the corals are growing inside of these tanks. We have a welcome center. The farm is not only a coral production facility, but it's also an education center for local communities, for students, for fishermen, for government officials. It's also a tourism attraction. So there's, um, but as all of that's happening, the tanks are the main part of our operation where the corals grow. Our staff comes up, they clean the corals, they check on their health. And after six or 12 months, we get on our boats, we go out to the reefs where we've assessed opportunities for restoration or there's a paying customer. And then we outplant the corals. So we get on the boats, uh, load up uh, specially designed tanks with our coral, uh, drive out to the reef site where we've determined it's good for restoration and jump in the water. And usually we're scuba diving. Sometimes we can snorkel as well if it's shallow enough. Um, and there's a few different ways you plant the coral, but the most straightforward way is you drill holes in the limestone rock with underwater drills. And then you take a, uh, a type of silica fume cement or uh, epoxy glue. You put it on the end of the coral, you plug that in, and then the cement or the glue will dry and then the coral will take hold and eventually grow over. And, and uh, But it's a pretty straightforward process. You drill, you glue, you plant, they grow. And it's really amazing to come back to sites where we plant corals and see you know, this gray rubble field uh, that used to be full of life starting to have those colors come back and the beautiful creatures and sea life return. That takes time and instantly with the corals uh, being outplanted, you see more fish because they now have a home. They now can hide from predators. So even if it takes time for the corals to grow and grow, um, the reef really starts to come back to life right in front of your eyes. Scientists around the world all agree that our coral reefs cannot survive in a global warming context, with temperatures of over 1.5% above pre-industrial levels. Vanny Duvert heads the World Heritage Center's marine program. We still have time to try to increase the resilience of the world's coral reefs as much as we possibly can. This entails reducing certain human activities, such as fishing and pollution, along with other types of activity that are local to the various reefs in their respective locations. A reef corallian can be able to reproduce naturally 
To be healthy and reproduce naturally, a coral reef requires clear, non-degraded, unpolluted water, allowing it to photosynthesize. When we talk about polluted water, we're mainly referring to human activity, sheep, coastal activities, agriculture, and everything that comes with it. Optimal water temperature is, of course, another aspect of coral reef survival. When restoring a coral reef, we have to take all these factors into account. We can't assume that coral reef restoration is the solution for the future. Restoring deteriorated reef areas may be part of the solution, but it's also very urgent that we concurrently focus on and invest in reducing local impacts, local pressure, human activity, and so on. Only then will these coral reefs be able to reproduce and function naturally over time. Restored in this way, the reefs will once again shelter a profusion of life forms, with all the hustle and bustle that comes with them. This is the sound of dead coral. This coral is alive. listening to UNESCO Green Citizens, a podcast by Aurélie Luneau, directed by Thomas Duterte and Marie-Laure Ciboulet, produced by Studio Radio France in conjunction with UNESCO and Cloran Botanical Foundation, voiced by Karine Dogliani and Hester Wilcox, translation Nikki Becker, sound recording Delphine Bedet and Eric Boisset, mix Pierre-Yves Charles.